Welcome to the Global Missions Inc. podcast. This episode features David Luff. When we were preparing, or when I was trying to prepare for the December Young People's Meeting, along about November, you start trying to think and trying to seek the Lord about what would He want for the young people in this hour. And so the first thing you start going through is the typical things, you know, the things that the young people are facing, all the social pressures, the the uh, the trappings of the internet, social media, uh, all the gen- gender confusion, things like that. Well, Lord, is that is that what they need? Or the other route we tend to go is go to the other extreme and say, well. You know, our church is different from other churches. They're, we do things differently than the churches where most of their friends go or uh, the other Christians that they know. And, you know, should we teach them more about this, the, the doctrine of the church, the structure of the church, you know, the, 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 the things we believe and why we believe them and these sort of things. And the Lord said, no. Neither one of these things. And so this verse came to mind. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will like him unto a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. Matthew seven twenty four through 25. As I pondered that, it was, just, it was as if the Lord said, you know, all these things that are confronting our young people today, and adults to a degree also, these are like the wind... <laughs> The rains that come, the floods that rise, the wind that beats upon the house. But I don't want you to focus on that. The other thing about church doctrine and things like that, he said that's like the house that's built. But he said, I don't want you to focus on that. What was left to focus on? The rock. <laughs> oh, praise God. Today, I wonder if we overcomplicate things. May God help us to focus on the rock. <laughs> Let us not get so consumed by, by the complexities that confront us, even in the way of this Christian walk. I mean, even... Even church doctrine sometimes can can overwhelm us with complexity. But God is saying to us today, focus on the rock. (laughs) And these things will take care of themselves. My mind went back immediately, as it often does, to 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 the garden, the Garden of Eden. And I was thinking about how God had prepared this garden for Adam and Eve. It had everything in it that they would need. He gave them uh, work to do. Verb, right? That would be verb. (laughs) Work to do in the garden. But He did something very special. And He said, the Scripture says, in the midst of the garden... And to me that means in a prominent place in the garden, in the middle of the garden, he placed two trees. One was the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and the other was the tree of life. And he told them, you can eat of any tree in the garden except the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He didn't, he didn't lay any particular 
demands upon them. It was not like, you know, now one thing you better not do is be late weeding the garden. Or, now if one thing you better not fail to do, or you'll surely die, is if you fail to feed the animals on time, you will surely die. None of those requirements were there. Only one requirement was there. And that was not to eat of the, not, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then the serpent came on the scene. And I've wondered about his tactics in, this, in his temptation. Was it, was it just focused on getting them to eat of the tree of knowledge and evil because God said not to? That's, that's a big part of it. But the other thing that I think he was focused on was making sure that they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil before they would eat of the tree of life. His driving force, most of all, was to keep them away from the tree of life. Because if they had partaken of the tree of life, then everything would have been different. But after they partook of the tree of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then everything went the other direction. And the Scripture actually says in Genesis 3 and 22, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. The order of things was, was what God had in mind. He had two trees there. <laughs> the first thing he knew was is that without the impartation of that eternal life that was in His Son, Jesus, everything would go bad. <laughs> the, the, the things that I guess I want to talk about this morning, there, there are many good things, but the order of which we partake of them are absolutely critical to our Christian walk. And so... You know, I, as I was thinking about it even further this morning, I thought, you know, I wonder if God actually did them a favor by putting them out of the Garden of Eden. What would it be like had they partaken of the tree of life in a condition of condemnation and sin and live forever in that? <laughs> well, would I, I wouldn't want to do that, would you? You know, I don't know how a person who is not a Christian, who has never partaken of that, of the, of that life, saving life of Christ, I, I would bet if they lived after a certain length of time, they'd just soon rather go <laughs> than to stay in that state for eternity. <laughs> and so I think God did them a favor when He cast them out of the garden. God never intended for mankind to live a self-directed life. He created man to, to live by the direction of God Himself. He, he did not want us to be self-sufficient or self-supporting in ourselves. He always wanted to he always wanted us to rely on his life directing us. John 6 and 63 says it is the spirit who gives life the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. When God breathed into mankind, into Adam, 
and Eve the breath of life, he gave them human life. But he didn't, that breath was not the eternal life that they could have partaken of if they partook of the tree of life. There's, there, when, when, when Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, he said, You must be born again. You must be born of water. In other words, be born of the natural. And then you must be born of the Spirit. Because he said, anything that is in the flesh, of the flesh, done by the flesh, dependent upon the flesh, regardless of how well motivated or how well meaning we be, it will profit nothing. In other words, it will get us nowhere along the line of that work that God is trying to do in our lives. It's always been in God's heart for His children from the beginning that he would have sons and daughters made into the image of his son. That's the family that he wants. He wants many brothers and sisters after, according to, conform to the image of his son. Romans eight twenty nine and 30 says, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. When our brother last night was talking about what is that work <laughs> that God, what is that vision for that, for, uh, for, for, for that picture that he's painting, what does it look like? Well, it looks like Jesus. It looks like the rock. It looks like the image of His Son. That He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined or called, those He also called, and whom He called, these He also justified, and whom He justified, these he also glorified. There in one sentence, we see that process that God goes through with us. You know, after Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, God then had to turn around and go the long route to get us back to himself. But he never, he never lost sight of the picture that he wanted to paint it was just now going to take longer to get it done. And of course God knew all of that. But the thing about Genesis does, it tells us, it goes back and it helps us to know what God had intended from the very beginning. So as we go through this process, we can look back at the garden and see this is where God, this is what God had intended for us to partake of all along. Praise God. Well, you look at the things that, that God has done to get us to the place where we could be justified. A lot of things I can't explain. I don't, I don't understand them all. I like the, uh, the commercial that, uh, that Franklin Graham has on. There's about a 30-minute commercial that comes on TV every once in a while. And he talks about the Bible. He said... Uh, you know, he said, I love the Bible. He said, but do I understand it all? No, but I believe it all. <laughs> and so that's, that's kind of where, that's where I am right now. I don't understand it all, but I believe it. It was approximately 2,500 years after Adam before God gave the law to Moses. That was a long time. <laughs> to be sure, in Romans 5.13 says, to be sure sin was in the world 
before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. So why did God give the law? The law was brought so that the trespass might increase. Romans 5 and 20. And that's from the NIV. From Galatians 3 and 19 from the New King James Version. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions until what? The seed shall come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Galatians 3 and 19. The law was added until the seed of promise that was made to Abraham. Until then, that's what the law was for. And then finally from Galatians 3, 22 through 25, But the Scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. I want to be careful how I proceed here, but I want us to let those verses sink into our hearts and our minds to realize the law had one purpose and one purpose only, and that was to, to, to show us the magnitude of sin and transgression. To bring us to that point which we would come to the absolute end of ourselves and we would come to that place where by faith we would accept Christ into our lives and from that point on everything would be different. But here is my, here is my concern when I think, what is the law to us today? What consists of the law? Or what does the law consist of? Well, we might think, well, certainly, the Mosaic law as given to Moses was what we think of as the law. But I wonder, in the course of our, our lives, we allow other things to come in and we set before ourselves or others set before us or God forbid in the wrong way even the church sets before us expectations that become so overwhelming to us that we think we can never do that. We can never become that spiritual. And so many fall by the wayside because they are overwhelmed by the expectations of God. Or, God forbid, we, in our zeal to, to be good and help others be good, we set before them a list of do's and don'ts and sure, we always couch it in terms of, oh, but not by your own strength, by the help of the Holy Spirit. But we zip by that. And people 
But people hear the other part that I hear that, but I don't know how to do that. And somehow we can give that kind of a quick pass by that, well, it's not in your own strength, but you still got to do it. So, so people ask the question. I ask the question. What does leading of the Holy Spirit really mean? What do, what do I get for that? What, what, what is the, where's the help, what's the help look like? And so I think that many Christians have this idea. Many Christians, the idea that many Christians have of grace is this. Our conversion and pardon are God's work, but that now, in our gratitude to God, it is our work, verb, to live as Christians and follow Jesus. There is always that thought of something that we must do in gratitude. We think, yes, Jesus, Jesus did His work for us. You know, He died on the cross for us and for the forgiveness of our sins. But now, there's stuff that we've got to do. And I want to be careful here that, that I, I don't... I don't go crossways with what our brother ministered last night because that is not the case. The, the issue is, is what do we do before we do the work that God has given us to do? And I'm afraid that sometimes what we do is, is we get the cart before the horse. We get the work that we need to do, that God has given us to do, the work, the verb work that He's given us to do, we get into that before we, we get the cart in front of the horse instead of the horse in front of the cart. We get things in reverse so that what we try to do is get into the work before we get into the rock. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Because it's not real easy to do this, to get this across. But I'll tell you, I think it's harder for people to grasp this than you might think. And I will tell you, I walked that journey for many years. And finally, I came to the point where I said, Lord God, don't take me home until I understand this. I know intellectually what it means to be led by the Spirit. I know that. I know the truth of that intellectually. But I still, it still is not down in my heart where it needs to be. And I don't want to go. I, I know, I knew if I died, I'd go to heaven. I'd, I'd accepted Jesus as my Savior. So I don't want to miss Getting, this, getting a hold of this in the way that you want me to get a hold of it, and I know I, don't, I haven't gotten a hold of it the way I need to. I want you to know that just because we are set in the offices that we are in as, as ministries in the church, that we have everything figured out. We do not. We're still learning just like you are. It's just that God has said, here's your job, you do it. There's their job, they do it. Neither one of you are perfect. And God is still working to get us where He wants us to be. And we need each other. I need you, and I need your prayers, and you need mine. <laughs> Praise God. I said something like this to the young people at, at our stronghold meetings in December. I wonder if this is the way you feel. You conclude that the leading of the Holy Spirit amounts to the Holy Spirit pointing out what God requires, and it is now up to us, the regenerated men and women, to obey it.
I got all kinds of nods. Yes, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> I said, well, that tells, us, that tells us where we are. That tells us what we need to be focused on. Their walk had become a walk under law and not under grace. Even though our efforts may be well-meaning, sooner or later we become discouraged due to our frequent failures to overcome the lusts of the fleshly nature. Our fruitless efforts degenerate into unproductive labor and we become heavy laden. Then I thought about that scripture where Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I've always thought about that as well. That's people that are going through hard times and they need help and they're struggling and this, that, and the other, and come unto me and the Lord will give you rest. There, there's truth in that. But there's another level that Jesus is speaking there. He is speaking to those people, those people who love Him, who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb and are still trying to meet His expectations in the strength of their flesh. And the Lord spoke to me about that. And He said, this is what you've been trying to figure out for lo these many years. Those of us who, 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 God forbid, I hope you don't have to go through this, but oftentimes the Christian life for us is distilled down to making lists of things that we're going to be sure we don't do. And lists of things that we know we should do. And determination that when we get up in the morning today, we will not make that mistake that we made yesterday. We will not speak that careless word, or we will not, we will not have that lustful thought, and we will not do this, and we will do this, and we do the other, and we got this all going on in our head, and the next thing we know, we've got the focus on the things instead of on the rock. The Apostle Paul had some of these same experiences. He said, For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin and death, which is in my members. Romans seven twenty-two and 23. He goes on to say in Romans 7 and 8, But sin taking opportunity by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desire, for apart from law the sin was dead. <clears throat> this, is an, um, this is a strange thing about the law and human nature. Those two things, they can work, they can wreak havoc in a person's life. Because Paul is saying that what, that what the what the law tends to do is once you put a law in front of you, uh, in front of me, or in front of you, it makes the the disobeying of the law even more attractive. Now you may disagree with that, but I came across something in Brother Hinchliffe's book called "Building God's House," and in the article called Sin Rebuked from Within. This is what he said. As Paul says here, the law stimulates our sinful passions. I don't know why it is. But the more you try to bring your sinful nature under the law, the stronger your sinful nature becomes. A law will bring it to life, and things you never had trouble with before cause you great trouble when brought to your attention by the law. The human nature has a strong desire for that which is forbidden. 
Paul said in Romans 8, chapter 3, the law is weak through the flesh. In other words, the law is good in itself. But the only vehicle or resource that the natural man has to work through in overcoming the sin nature is the strength of the sinful nature itself. The only powers it can call upon are those which are already in rebellion to the Spirit. Whenever we, whenever we make our lists and our determinations and the things that we're going to do or not do, we, we have the best of intentions. <laughs> we have been saved by, by grace we, and we're, we're thankful to God for what He has done. And now we feel like now it's up to us to go do the things that God has told us to do. He saved us. He's regenerated us. We're ready to go. But one thing, the, the, the Scripture says that if we walk in the Spirit, we, shall, we will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. But he also, he did not say you would not feel the lusts of the sinful flesh. Because the Spirit lusts against or fights against the flesh, and the flesh wars against the Spirit. So that, that, is, that, that turmoil is in there. It, it, it can go on, but I do not believe that God wants us to live in, in that turmoil all the time. So, you think about the things that God has... You, you think about this process that God is going through with us. <clears throat> and I think about the... There's a scripture that's in Romans... Romans 5 and 10. Romans 5 and 10. This is from NIV. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through His death, through the death of His Son. And I want to pause there for a moment. This is work verb that Jesus did on our behalf. That, that, was, that was His work. And we are, we are saved by faith in that work that was accomplished through His death on the cross. If when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. It's like there are two steps in this process. One is, is there, there is redemption that was purchased for us by the work that Christ did for us on the cross. But then there's another step in our salvation. I think our brother mentioned it last night when he talked about the full salvation. When, when we come to Christ, we are redeemed our spirit is enlivened and we are, we are placed in Christ Jesus instantaneously. That is an accomplished work that we, enter, we, we are beneficiaries of immediately. But it goes on to say that even though we were reconciled through the death of Christ, we are saved and fully saved through His life. And that is not instantaneous. That is a process that we go through where we are changed little by little into the image of His Son. But the thing that is so important for us to realize is, and Paul saw that, and I wonder sometimes... I wonder how he felt about this. If he if he actually went through this struggle himself or whether he was just 
doing a, a story to help us to see it? I don't know. I'd like to think he went through it. I'd like to think he had that struggle. And when he came out on the other side, he went into the 8th chapter of Romans, and it was like the light had come on to him. It had been turned on, and he said, Now I see it. I see all these things that I've tried to do in my own... using the only resources that I realized I had that were already in rebellion to the Spirit. How, How dumb is that? But yet, that's kind of what we do. I'm afraid that we do that. But finally he came in and he, and, he, and, he, and he said there, first of all, he said, let's get this straight from the start. All of you who are in Christ Jesus, he said, you are, you, you are in Christ. Let me read just a couple of, uh, of scriptures there because it's important. Ephesians 1 and 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. You who have been saved by the blood of the Lamb have been placed in Christ. You are in a secure position. Nothing can change that. The Scripture says nothing can separate us from the love of God. Where? In Christ Jesus. That's where we are. That's where we exist right now. That's where God sees us. And we must see ourselves by faith that we are in Christ. And we start in Christ. The most secure, safe, wonderful place we could possibly be. In Christ Jesus. This is one I just love. This 1 Corinthians 1 and 30. But of Him, speaking of God, you are in Christ Jesus. You are in Christ Jesus. Who has what? Who has become for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. I think when Paul got a hold of that truth where he said, Our hope, Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is is the answer to the whole problem. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he said, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You must, you cannot be conformed to the image of Christ and stay under condemnation. It's like trying to start a fire underwater. It can't be done. You have to know that you are in a safe place in Christ Jesus. And that nothing is going to change that. The very worst day in your life, God will love you just as much as He does in the very best day of your life. You start at that point. You can't go back under this sense of, I have failed the Lord, I have, I have displeased the Lord, therefore, oh, what can I do to make it right with God? only thing you have to do is to say, Lord, I'm sorry, I stumbled again, please forgive me. And the Scripture says He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now let's get up and go forward. You know? Oh, praise God. What a wonderful, what a wonderful thing to be in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Then he goes on to say, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Well, being the analytical person that I tend to be, I say, oh, well, it says, if I don't walk after the, you know, if I don't walk after the, the Spirit, I'm, I'm disqualified. I'm back under condemnation. That's not what that says. We are now free to walk after the Spirit instead of after the flesh. 
It's a freedom. It's a, it's a deliverance. It's a benefit that God has given us. For He said, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did in sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. I oftentimes read that as saying, well, walking after the flesh means yielding to the lusts of the flesh. I don't think that's what that meant there. For me, it at least for me, it meant to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law means placing your faith in the rock, Jesus Christ. It means coming to that place where you just totally say, I am going to forget all this list of do's and don'ts that I had on my list to do, all the things to watch out for, all the things to be careful of, all the things to worry about, all the things that... And just say, Jesus, I'm going to huddle up really close to You today because I've tried the other way and it is fraught with failure and disappointment and discouragement. I'm going to try it Your way. I'm going to try I'm going to try putting my not in some broad way of saying I'm going to I'm going to walk with the, you know the spirit's going to guide me no let's get down to specifics there's this area over here I'm going to I'm going to put it aside and I am going to trust you holy spirit to do what I cannot do for myself And let's see what happens. Let's try this and see what happens. I want to quote Brother Hinchliffe again from his book. I first read this, I said, Oh, Brother Hinchliffe, I don't know about this. I quote, I have often thought that it would be a good thing if after the law has brought us to Christ, we could erase it from our minds. Now, this is Brother Hinchliffe now. It's not me. So that we could no longer lean upon it we would then have to lean upon the leadership of the Spirit. What a far more glorious thing to be led by the Spirit of God than to have to be told by a law what we should or should not do. After I got to thinking about that, I went all the way from thinking, oh, Brother Hinchliffe, I don't know about this, to think and thank God that's the answer to the question. <laughs> that's the answer to the question. That was the that, a journey that started for me many years ago. God began to bring to a conclusion as I started thinking about what to minister at young people's. And it kind of went from one thing to another till it got to this point and then it finally that light came on to me and I, I thought, Lord, is that the way Paul felt when he wrote the 8th chapter of Romans? He said, now, the righteous requirements of the law. Some people say, oh, that's that just talking about Jesus meeting those requirements for us and now we're, that's part of our justification. Now, that's not what that says. You know, we are, we are justified by the work. So God imputes righteousness to us. This isn't imputed righteousness. This is the real thing. <laughs> this is the real fulfilling of the righteous requirements of the law through faith in Jesus Christ. Well, what does that 
what does that look like? When, when it's into practice, what does it look like? And go back to that scripture where Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, that are that are that labor under trying to please me through rules and regulations that either I have put you think I've put before you, you think the church has put before you, you think other church members or the brethren or somebody else has put before you. You keep pulling that load and that makes you heavy laden. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. He said, I will give you that rest which you long for. But how do you get that rest? You get that rest, he says, take my yoke upon you. And learn of me. Take that yoke. You get in this harness with me. And you take my hand and you stay real close to me. You just lock arms with me, as it were, in the Spirit. You just huddle up close. Don't don't remember, don't think about the mistakes of yesterday. You trust me, and I will lead you step by step. It may be in the beginning, it's a moment by moment thing. Maybe an hour by hour thing. But as soon as your mind switches back to the thing, the list, the do's, the determinations, the don'ts, and so on, the Holy Spirit will jerk you back and He will put you back in line and He will say, no, you just walk. I'll, you, tr- you trust me, I will, I will keep you out of trouble. <laughs> even, the, even the obedience, I think of the song, I was thinking about the song, Trust and Obey, Trust and Obey. Well, what do we hear? What's the what's the word we focus on most when we sing "trust and obey"? Obey. But the order is critical: trust and then obey. If you try to obey and just kind of give trust lip service, you'll be right back under the law, <laughs> and you will be depending on those. It's like a discrowned king who is trying to regain his ground with the forces that are in rebellion to him already. (laughs) It can't be done. But it takes... It takes a coming really to the end of yourself. It comes to... You, and I don't know how to tell you to do that. It's something you just have to figure out with the help of the Holy Spirit. But you need to get to the end of yourself. You need to come to that place to say, I give up. I am, of my own, I am sorry as gully dirt. But you, you... You have the answer to these things. Much of what I think I've been trying to say is stated in the following Scripture, 2 Corinthians 3, verses 12 through 19. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. Oh, hallelujah. When that veil is taken away, you're a new person the second time. You were born again, but when this revelation comes, you're a new person. 
The veil is taken away and all of a sudden you say, I see. Hallelujah. Eureka. What I couldn't see before, I see now. I see a way. I see the way to, to, the way to walk like I've never seen it before. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Hallelujah. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Liberty! Hallelujah! Praise God. But we all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Oh, huh. just, just to behold Him, just to sit and look into His face, just to get your mind off of your failures and all of your your past sins and all of these things. Those things are under the blood of Christ and just begin to behold Him. Just to, as, as, as our brother encouraged us today as we sang, just to concentrate on Him. And the Spirit would change us little by little by little into the image of His Son. He will accomplish His work, won't He, Kelvin? He will do it. <laughs> and he wants, us, he wants us to play our part. And He has these work, this work for us to do that our brother mentioned last night. And He went all through these different things, the seeking and the, and the asking and the doing this and doing that. He wants us to do all of those things. But first, He wants us to get the order correct. He wants us to get founded upon the rock and dependent upon the rock moment by moment. I can tell you, saints of God, from my own personal experience, that things that I had difficulty with all of a sudden, as this veil was lifted, I began to hear the Spirit saying well ahead of time, Be, walk this way, check that, you know. And you begin to hear it. And you begin to praise God. Because now, you realized, He's, he's got the reins now. He's got the he's got the bull by the horns. He's in control now. And that that the enemy of our souls can is is, is no competition for that. I'll just close with about five things that I hope might be some help to us as we think about the practicalities of walking by the spirit. Number one is this. It begins exclusively with faith in and surrender to the power of the indwelling presence of the Lord Jesus Christ by His Holy Spirit. There are some things that are still a mystery to me, and that is, you know, the Holy Spirit 
When Jesus sent the Spirit, or when He told His disciples what was going to happen, He said, the Spirit of truth will come and He will lead you into all truth. But who is all, who's all truth? Jesus Christ is truth. The Holy Spirit is a vehicle who's constantly pointing us towards Him. He's constantly causing us to address ourselves to Jesus, the rock. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. 1 John 5 and 4. So there has to be that place where we say, we truly say, we're, we're going to lay aside our own, our own efforts. And we are now going to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit will direct us towards Him. We must nourish and cultivate this new life in us, all the while remembering we are no longer under condemnation. We are justified forever before God. Our sins and failures, past, present, and future, are forgiven. No one can overcome sin while under condemnation. Number two, know that the new life within us speaks to us through the Word of God. We must flood our minds with this Word, which is the sword of the Spirit. Be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Romans 12 and 2. Number three, and this is so critically important, maintain constant communion with our inward guide. Constant communion. My wife and I were talking the other day about what does it mean to to pray continually. And it, we sort of kind of came down to the fact that, you know, it's an attitude. This, even if it's unconscious part of the time, you're not conscious of it, but there is that communion that is going on with your holy guide all the time. So maintain constant communion with our inward guide. It must be intimate, honest, and continual. Proverbs 18 and 24 says, But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Number four, refuse any and everything that would tend to excite or invigorate the old nature. I read somewhere in a devotional the other day that says it's a whole lot easier to keep the enemy out than to expel him once he's in. The Holy Spirit will help you to do that. He will will know those things that tend to excite that old nature and He will warn you about that. He will, it's more than warning, He, He will... He'll lovingly instruct you about that and say, stay clear of that. Don't get, don't just, and it's so much easier to deal, it's so, it's so much easier to do that than to play with it and let it get in and then try to get rid of it. This is the best way to mortify the deeds of the body. And five, have faith that if nourished and cared for, the new life implanted in your soul will gradually increase and your old nature will gradually decrease. The divine person who dwells, who indwells you, will drive forth the evils from your heart and write his laws on your heart. 
I was reading a commentary uh, by somebody else. I can't think of his name right now, Alexander or something. But anyway, it was a commentary that said that it's when you think about your life and you think about trying to to overcome the the, the things that, that plague us that are in the flesh. He says, is it easier... Well, is it, you could go at it two ways. You can take a wheelbarrow and shovels and go in there and work on it that way. Or you can flood, allow a river to flood the foul ground and wash everything away at one time. And that's kind of the, the the kind of the picture I guess that that helped me to see this is that the 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 wheelbarrow and shovel way is not going to do it. Turn the river of the spirit of God having faith that if you do that even in your lowest moment have that faith that if you turn the spirit river loose on your on the foul ground it will wash away those things that 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 tr- that trouble you let's pray father i pray this morning that those things which have not that have not been of you will fall by the wayside really quickly and only those things which have come from you will remain in the hearts of your people lord Help us to realize that there's really only one law that we have to follow, and that is the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. As our brother ministered last night, our work is to believe. Our work is to have faith. Even as small as a grain of mustard seed, you will honor that faith. The measure of faith that we have received from you will be sufficient for us to have the faith that the power of the Spirit is real and that He can do what we can never, ever do for ourselves. Father, we thank You for the law that brought us to Christ. But now that we have come to faith in Christ, Lord, let us hear, have faith in, rejoice in, be thankful for the presence of the Holy Spirit that You have put, allowed, given to indwell our lives. Father, may we experience the overcoming power little by little in our lives. Let us rejoice in the victories that You have. And Lord, forgive us and put us back on the track when we fail. For we likely will from time to time. It seems to be part of the process. But Lord, we are, we are pressing on. We are taking on that work of pressing into that which You have called us to. Oh Lord, we pray Your blessings upon these dear people. Just ask You to bless them, help them in their walk. Lord, let their fellowship and communion with You be deep and honest and pure and sweet. And we know it will be productive. Lord, You have said for us to come unto You. But then after You say come unto You, You say remain in You. For apart from You, we can do nothing. But we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Lord, we are not interested in having a rework of our lives. 
We want an exchanged life. We lay our life down, Lord, in a desire to take upon within ourselves Your life. It will operate through our personalities. We know that. It will be different than anyone else's. But the essence of it will be You. And we will, Lord, be changed into the image of Your Son. We ask Your blessings now upon Your people. In Jesus' name, Amen. If you would like more information about the moving of God's Spirit or resources for your spiritual life, please visit our website at www.globalmissionsinc.org.